I know you've been standing for a while, but if you have a Bible, and I trust that you do, hang in with me just for another moment and remain standing um, as we read, as I read and, and we read together, uh, or at least hear together, um, from Luke from uh, Luke chapter 11. Our text for this morning is going to be Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. Um, if, you're, if you're new with us, and, um, and there's a Bible right in the pew rack in front of you, and you can follow along as I read and as we uh, listen together on page 720. Here's what Luke writes. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Verse 7, then the one inside answers, don't bother me, the door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up. And give you anything, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will knock, I'm sorry, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 11, which of you fathers? If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May God bless the reading, the hearing, and the doing of his word. Go ahead and be seated. Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning. We're grateful for your word. Because we know in your word, you teach us all that man should believe about you and, and, and all that God requires of us. And Father, this morning, we have certainly heard so many voices in our culture and our lives um, that it can just become noise. But this morning, we pray that you, the voice we hear the most clearly is yours. Father, we desire as a church to be a people Um, that exists to redeem the church and the community with the gospel by making disciples of Jesus. But, Father, that begins by us being disciples of Jesus. So, Father, I pray that uh, with time spent in your word this morning, that when the dust settles on everything today, that we leave this place more like your son Jesus than we got here. Use your word in our lives to that end. In your name we pray, amen. It was July of 1961, and just for the record, I wasn't there, Um, but uh, it was July of 1961, and the 38 members of the Green Bay Packers football team were gathered together uh, for the first day of spring training camp. The previous season had not ended well. They had given away a a late fourth-quarter lead and lost in the NFL championship game uh, to, the, to the Philadelphia Eagles, there's an irony in that. Uh, the Green Bay 
uh, the Green Bay Packers had been thinking about that fourth quarter of the entire offseason, and now they're back together. The training camp has finally arrived, and it's time to get to work. Play, players were eager to, uh, to advance their game to the next level, to overcome the defeat from last season, and they were certain that they would begin working on the details of strategy and what would be necessary, what they could do differently this year uh, you know, to, to win in the upcoming year. Their coach, Vince Lombardi, he had a different idea. He, uh, he had already, by that point, had a reputation for a relentless commitment to mastering the fundamentals um, and doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. And so in a speech that uh, would become a part of the legend of Lombardi and certainly the legacy of the Packers, he, when they were expecting him to get up and talk about strategy, he instead got up and said, Gentlemen, this is a football. In the Christian life, in any, it's really easy, and I think unintentionally, we, have, we often make the Christian life more difficult, or not more, that's not a, the Christian life is difficult, but we often make it more complicated than perhaps it needs to be. It's often like a person who, uh, sometimes in the Christian life, it's often uh, when you're trying to figure out what in the world am I supposed to do and where do I start, or often like a person who has made a New Year's resolution uh, with new fitness goals. I'm going to get back in shape. I'm going to lose a certain amount of weight. So they join the YMCA. They head down to Riverside. They go to um, the, that, the brand new fitness center. They walk in there surrounded by equipment, and they're like, what in the, where in the world do I start? Um, then as you talk to more um, expert athletes, you soon discover that out of the, the multitude of machines in there, you'll find that um, no matter what sport, uh, professional and expert athletes don't do all of that stuff, right? They usually identify probably six to eight exercises that they do every day exceptionally well. In the Christian life, in any discussion on what are the spiritual disciplines or the fundamentals of practices of, 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 a, of a Christian to mature in their walk with God, whether you are looking at, a, at Dallas Willard in his book on disciplines or Donald Whitney or Richard Foster or, or more recently Gallaty or Dawson Trotman or whoever you've looked at, any, any writing on what it, are the spiritual fundamentals for a Christian will begin early with a discussion on prayer. Because there's a simplicity to the statement that if you're to grow as a disciple of Jesus means that you are a person of prayer. Perhaps no one better understood the simplicity of that truth than Jesus' disciples here in Luke chapter 11. I mean, the Lord's Prayer, which is what this is called, uh, appears in Matthew really as the centerpiece on the Sermon on the Mount. But yet here in Luke, he reteaches this pattern prayer in the midst of a, a passage of Scripture where he's already been teaching them how to properly relate to God. And it'll come right before really a disagreement about the very nature, nature of his authority. So Jesus teaches his disciples about praying right, right in the middle of talking to them how about just how to walk with God and about who he is. As not only as, as a man, but who he is as fully God and fully man. Jesus was a man of prayer. 
And becoming a person like Jesus means that we, as Christians, develop the holy habit of prayer. And this morning, as we look at Luke chapter 11, there are at least three things that I think that we can see clearly that Jesus taught his disciples about prayer. And one is this. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to see this, that prayer is expected. Prayer is expected. Now, we live in, a, we live in an age where we push back on a, we live in a culture that really pushes back on anything that even sniffs of authority. I don't know if uh, you're a fan of the author Patrick Lincioni, but he wrote a book within the last two decades called Three Signs of a Miserable Job. Now, we could probably, if this was a small group, we could probably come up with more signs than that. Uh, But he enlisted among his three signs of anonymity, irrelevance, irmeasurement. Part of his discussion of immeasurement is that it's miserable to have a job when you flat out just don't know what's expected. Like, I'm in the, I mean, I'm in the Navy, all right? And I, one of the things I love about the Navy is that every day we have a plan of the day. And at the top of the plan of the day is, is what's called the uniform of the day. If you're not familiar with that, that basically says, what am I supposed to wear today? I love that. I'm a, I don't, take all the guessing out of that for me. Right? It's really funny how men and women are different with that, right? So two women show up at a formal event wearing the same thing, they panic, right? Two guys show up at a formal event wearing the same thing, they breathe a sigh of relief, like, I didn't get it wrong, right? That is refreshing for most, and all God's men said, that's right, okay? So there's something that's just refreshing about, the, about taking away the guesswork from what's expected. I mean, I... I really appreciate autonomy. I, I have a job right now that gives me a great deal of flexibility, but I like understood objectives. I like to know what's, I don't want to be micromanaged, but I want to know what really is expected of me. We're teaching the kids to clean their rooms, right? And so uh, it's, a, it's a work in progress. And part of that is we put in each of their rooms, because I'm a guy that would just say, hey, go clean your room, and, and think that's going to accomplish that, right? Because I'm a guy, right? Um, right? But... Um, but my wife, who's a lot more detail-oriented than I am, has listed, like, okay, there's five steps. And one, two, have you done? I, I see you missed step number three, right? So what do we need to do? What's expected of us as a Christian? Jesus, expect, Jesus was a man of prayer, and being like Jesus means that we're going to pray. Now, as we look at this passage, you and we begin to go through the prayer that, that he would teach them to pray. We'll see in just a moment, it was a pattern prayer. It was not a prayer that he could pray himself, right? But understand that in Luke, before we even get into Luke chapter 11, the disciples had heard him pray. In fact, the, the text began, don't miss the detail of this. Even before he teaches them to pray, he himself was praying, that's what it says. One day Jesus was praying. This wasn't the first time. In fact, the language of the text seemed to suggest that this was a, this was a holy habit. He was in the habit of praying. We, they had seen him pray in Luke chapter 5 before his baptism. They had se- we saw him pray in Luke chapter 6 before he chose the 12. We saw him pray in Luke chapter 5 when the crowds increased. We saw him pray in Luke chapter 9 um, as he's teaching the 12 about the, their very confession of faith, and in Luke chapter 9, he would pray at the transfiguration. Jesus was a person 
of prayer. And if you're going to be a per- if you're going to be a person who follows Jesus like him, you will develop a holy habit of prayer. I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther said, uh, "As is the business of tailors to make clothes and cobblers to make shoes, so it is the business of Christians to pray." Not only does he say, not only do we see that he was praying, but he was praying in a certain place. Okay, how, I'm gonna, we're going to play along with me for a second. How many people in here manage their time using like an electronic format, Microsoft Office or some other? Who uses electronic means? Okay, we got at least two. How many are still a paper planner person? Right, a few more, right? How many of you just don't write anything down ever? Like, don't ever, yeah, we got, we, I, I know that that is true because I married one of them. Um, so, but I'm a, I'm a paper planner person. I mean, if it doesn't get written down, it's not, it's not getting done. In fact, I'll just give some, just for the purpose of transparency, there are times where I'll accomplish something that I did not write down. I'll go back and write it back down just so I can have the sheer satisfaction of crossing it off the list. Anybody else? Least, yes, yes, we got, we got some more. I just, because I like that. My wife doesn't understand that at all. This, Jesus is teaching us, among other things, if nothing else, he's modeling for us the fact that prayer takes place in a certain place. If, if prayer isn't planned, or if prayer isn't in your planner, it's probably not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, right? Much like the priority of dating your wife or going to the gym or, or spending time with your kids, if it doesn't get written down, it will be, it will be crowded out by other, that, by other things that aren't bad things but aren't at the core of what we should be doing to mature in our walk with the Lord. And when Jenny and I started dating, and I was, well, we got married when I was 29, and she was, had, was about to turn 20, she was about to turn 25, and so we had dated for a year uh, before we got engaged, engaged for six months, and I was on, I'd already graduated from seminary, and I was working at a church in South Carolina, and I had really developed, developed some really bad work habits, which meant I worked all the time, right? I was already in my mid-20s, and I just, I didn't have margin, and I'm working on that still in my 40s, but um, but that's another sermon for another day. We discovered quickly, in order for us to spend time together, we had to plan it. Because it wasn't just going to happen. Now, as much as we enjoyed spending time together, as much as we saw this relationship having a future, if we didn't plan it, it simply wasn't going to happen. In the same way, prayer has a time and prayer has a place. I want you to see this morning, if you're taking notes, that prayer is expected. But not only is prayer expected... Prayer is learned. Prayer is learned. Follow with me as we continue in the text. He'll say, he'll say here, well, go back. Then he said, when he finished, so they waited for him to finish. One of the, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. There's, it's really ironic to me. I, I think this is ironic. There's, you all, you, who's heard the expression in childhood education, the three R's? Who's even heard that, right? The fund, a couple people, right? The, the, the early foundation of childhood education um, was reading, writing, and some would be quick to say arithmetic, right? But here's an irony, right? Arithmetic didn't become part of the three R's until 1904. This is fascinating to me, if, if to no one else, right? Before 1904, the third R was rhetoric, right? 
we taught people how to speak. And now we can, you can, we can talk about today in a conversation that will be worth having that we should still be teaching people how to speak, that we've certainly lost that in a digital age. Interpersonal skills and simply even public speaking skills have been lost. We knew early in our country that that was something that had to be taught. Sometimes in the Christian life, we, we miss the fact that prayer has to be taught. Now, Donald Whitney, in a book that I recommend for you uh, called Spiritual Discipline of the Christian Life, he makes this observation. Whitney says, there's a sense among some that in which prayer needs to be taught to a child no more than a baby needs to be taught to cry. You don't have to teach a baby to cry. Like, the baby figures that out all by themselves. Well, what Whitney says is that crying is a, just a minimal communication. But as we mature, we learn how to communicate more effectively. Now, a person who becomes a follower of Christ will have a sense that they're to cry out to God. But as we mature in our faith, we learn what that, what that looks like. We learn how to talk uh, to the Father. In doing that, Jesus himself taught us how to pray. And I'm going to give you, I want to give you this morning, I want to give you five F's, right? Um, and I'm saying that now because I want you to write them down because I, we're going to use them at the end, and it'll, this won't work if you don't write, at least write them down, right? So, but when Jesus taught us to pray, the first F is Father, right? He said, when, when we pray, talk to the Father. President Lyndon Johnson his press secretary was a guy by the name of Bill Moyers, and Bill Moyers was a person of faith, and he was asked to pray at a staff lunch. Now, he wasn't a very loud-spoken person, and the president couldn't hear him. So the president shouted, Bill, I can't hear a thing. So Moyers, and Moyers quietly replied, Mr. President, I wasn't speaking to you. Like, there's a simplicity, there is a simplicity to the truth that when we pray, it's not a speech. It has one audience. And that is a holy God who listens. We'll get into the listening part in just a second. But first, I have to talk about the fact that we're talking to our Father. Um, as a, I'm a Navy chaplain. I, right now, for the last two years, I've been working in recruiting. But a couple, of months, a couple of years ago, I had a real privilege of being uh, serving on a carrier. And ca- doing ministry on a carrier is about as fun as you can. It's a blast, right? But one of the great traditions um, on a Navy ship at the close of the day in a moment that's been congressionally protected as tradition, is that you come onto the bridge, and you, in a prayer that you've written, you come over the, one, the intercom system, which is a really big deal on a Navy ship because there's only like three people who can even speak on the intercom. And you, in a moment that's a sacred moment, um, is you pray for the ship. Now, one thing about pr- that prayer is that you're talking about the crew but you're not talking to the crew. Um, and that's why the chaplain is asked to pray. Because we, when we come, we say, Father. Now, beloved, I want you to hear this this morning. Not everyone can say Father. Even in my life, I have three kids, Abigail, Allison, and Andrew. I'm the only three people on planet Earth that can say Father to me, and that apply. In the same way, Jesus says this in John chapter 8, verse 42. Don't turn there. I'll be gone before you get there. He says, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. 
For I, for I have come here from God. I did not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He, is a murder, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he, when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. When we, come to the, when we come to God, we come to him in relationship as father. Now, sometimes even, and, and if you're here and you've not trusted Jesus Christ by grace through faith in, for forgiveness of sin, then, he's, then don't take my word for it. John said, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he is not your father. In fact, the devil is your father. We can, he wants to correct that relationship, but that's the reality. But for those of us who have come to him in faith, but, you know, through grace, we're, we don't come to him as a, you know, we don't come to him in friendship. Like we don't come to him in any other, we come to him as, as father. And that's your first step, right? So not only do we talk to him as father, but we talk to him about the future, he says, your kingdom come. Uh, a friend of mine, Chad Miller, who's a pastor um, up, at the, up in the Charlotte area, but I first got to know him when he was working for the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Chad likes to say the will of God is really easy to understand. He said, it's exactly what we, you would do if you knew everything that God knew. Right? He, when, we come, when we come to the, our Father... We don't pray for our kingdom to come. We pray for his kingdom to come. It's like coming to a, it's like our lives are like a car that's constantly out of alignment, right? And when we, it's like taking a, but sometimes we treat prayer like taking our car that's out of alignment to the mechanic and say, hey, I know there's a standard here, but if you could get the, if you could get the standard to match my messed up car, that would be great. No, no. When we, we know that, right? That'll, that's going to ruin the vehicle. In the same way, taking your plans to the Father will destroy your lives. But what he says is when you come to the Father, pray for his kingdom to come. Pray that he does a, a spiritual realignment in whatever way necessary to, to align his kingdom with your life. Your kingdom come and we talk to him about the future. Now we bring him his, we bring him our dreams, we bring him our desires, we bring our our professional hopes, our romantic hopes, we bring all of that to him. But in the end, we pray that he replaces ours with his. Your king your kingdom come. We pray about the future. We also pray about our finances, right? Look with me. Give us this day our give us this day our daily bread, he says. I talk, I was, if Jenny was here, she would testify to this. We have very different uh, personalities when it comes to simple things in life, but one of them is the way we approach grocery shopping, right? Like, I am, I'm convinced that there are, like, there's two different kinds of people in the world, all right? One is a person whose gas tank currently has the light on, right? Right now, right? And there's another person that when it gets right, up, right above a quarter below a half a tank, they're like, where's the closest gas station, right? There's another person in the world whose cell phone is about to die, 
right now. It may, already, it may have died during the worship service right now. Right? And there's others who always, are always looking for a charger. Right? Like, well, your phone's at 97%. No, but I've got to keep it plugged in. Right? Right? So they're all in those, among those same people are those that, who make grocery lists that include, I need three bags of carrots, I need two cans of soup, I need one pound of roast beef. And there's others, so I'll know it when I get there. Right? And that grocery store has, I'll know it when I get there. You don't have to look at each other. Just If you're married, one of, one, there's one of each. And every, and every couple I've ever met in my entire life, there's one in, of each in every family, whether you're a single adult or not, there's one. Right? But what Jesus says here is really unique because it has to do with quantity. Right? And the third, he says, give us today our, our daily bread. Now, that's a unique phrase, but it's not a new phrase. The disciples had heard it before. They heard it in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7 through 9. In Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs says this, Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord. Give me, when God provided the Israelites manna, it was just enough for today. Now, this text is about finances, and that's your third F, right? But it's not just about finances, it's about everything I need for today. It's everything I need for today. If you are here, you, there, you, and you're a grown-up, you know that there is a point where though you're praying for money, you're praying more for wisdom. Give me enough wisdom for today. For, give me the courage I need for... When you're facing a difficult situation, either in a relationship or at work, you're, not, you're praying for courage. Just enough for today. Because built into that phrase is the understanding that we live in daily dependence on a holy God that gives us enough trouble for today and enough grace for today. Give us today. Just today. I'll worry about, I'll come to you tomorrow. I'll talk to you about tomorrow, tomorrow. But today, give me today, my daily bread. We pray about our finances. We also pray for forgiveness. That's your fourth F, right? Look with me in the text. He says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. I want to talk about both of those in the under, in the, under the umbrella of forgiveness, of forgiveness. Because what he's saying is this. While we're, while we're praying to our Father and we're talking about the future and we're talking about our finances, we're praying for forgiveness. And, here, and we're, we're praying forgiveness in two different ways. One is, there are sin in my life. And I know it, and you know it. And I need you to forgive. I, just, I need to be clean from that sin to live in right relationship with you. And I need you to not only protect, pro- forgive me from past sin, I need you to protect me 
from my need for future forgiveness. Lead me not into temptation. Let me break that down for you. Because two things happen when we sin. We have opportunity and desire. So when I come to, when he comes to, when he says, lead me not into temptation, what he's saying is this. When I have the desire to sin, protect me from the opportunity. And when I have the opportunity to sin, protect me from the desire. Lead me not into temptation. And here's your fifth F. You're like, wait a minute, we're at the end. No, we got one more F, right? Um, and we pray for the we pray for the family. That's your, not only your not only the family of God, but your family. Like, where do you see that in the text? I see it in the pronouns, and I want you to see it too. He says, "Hallow." He said, "Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive." us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. This is a prayer that can be prayed individually, but is intended for us to pray to not only together, but about each other. We pray it together, and we pray it, when we pray it for, with each other and for each other. What are the F's, right? We pray to the Father. We talk to him about the future. We pray to him about our finances and every other daily need. We ask him for forgiveness. My need today and my need tomorrow. And we talk to him about the family. I told you, we talked about a moment ago that, uh, that, that prayer often fails because it doesn't go into our planner. Prayer often fails because it's not planned. Because sometimes there's like, all right, when, when a person becomes a Christian, one of the, having a quiet time sometimes becomes like a preaching point in a sermon. Like, you should do that, right? And you need to wake up early and spend time with God. You're like, fantastic. What do I talk to him about, right? So now I'm there with my Bible going in a cup of coffee because coffee is how we know God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our life. And, and I'm trying to figure out, like, now that I'm here with you, what do we talk about? There... Jesus provides us a clarity for what a quiet time looks like. Now, there's two parts of a quiet time, right? There's, 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 the, there's the Bible and there's prayer. So we'll let Jimbo tackle the Bible stuff. But for right now, in the prayer part of your quiet time, he gives us direction for what to I use, Whitney, in his book, he encourages a, a prayer journal. I use a note card. Use whatever means you have. But in that, you can, I, mean, I have one section where I'm talking about who I'm praying for. I have another section where I'm just thinking about what I'm thankful for. Another section where I'm asking for, you know, where we're really praying about things that are on my heart and mind and that God aligns them with his. But there's an outline here. Like, so I have note cards. My wife, there, you'll find note cards scattered throughout the house, right, with dates on them and, uh, of who I'm praying for and what I'm praying for and things I'm thankful for. But it not only requires that it goes in your planner, but Prayer requires that you actually have a plan. And though we won't have as much time this morning on it as it certainly would be worth, um, I also, he teaches us in this final story that prayer, is, that prayer is always answered. We've seen this morning that prayer is expected. We've seen this morning that prayer is learned. And under, the, and under prayer is learned, we've seen our five Fs. But I'll, I want to see you to see this morning that prayer 
is always answered. Philip Brooks said a really perceptive thing. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance, but it's laying hold of his highest willingness. In the story that he'll tell, that Jesus will tell, about the the man that comes to his friend in the middle of the night, um, persistently looking for bread to meet the need, um, to, to to meet a physical need, it's real easy for that the main idea of that story to be about persistence in prayer. Well, that story certainly does teach us to be persistent in prayer, but if, if that was the only application of the story, it'd be real easy for us to see that, you know what? If we nag God at 3 o'clock in the morning um, that he's a fickle parent and you can manipulate him if he's tired and that, and that you're going to get what you want just if you ask enough times. Right? You don't parent like that. He does, he, as a sovereign holy God, he doesn't rule like that. Though, though it does teach persistence, more than persistence, it teaches us about the very nature of the giver. Because we've learned earlier that he's our father, and when we come to him in the middle of the night, we don't come to him as an annoying friend. Because he's not asleep. And he doesn't need to be told our need. He knows it. But he values our relationship. And he treats us like a son. And when his answers are different than our requests, beloved, hear this, they can always be trusted. Because not only is his answers for you, but his answer is for a watching world where his character of provision in our life is a, is, his, is a witness of him to the world. The, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism teaches us that the primary purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy, and for us to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is his own primary purpose. He gives us, not because he loves us, but also because it brings him glory. Not just meets our need. One of the aspects of my job that I really enjoy right now is um, I'm, a, I'm essentially a recruiter, and I talk to pastors about opportunities to serve faithfully in the Navy. And so there's a pretty extensive application process, that, but it culminates with an in-person interview, right? So part of my job is to prepare applicants to interview at the Pentagon. So we make uh, – so it's – the Pentagon has to be probably one of the most intimidating interview experiences that I can imagine. There may be others that you can imagine, but I mean, you have to have two forms of ID. There's Marine guards that escort you in. You know, there's, you're in this office suite out like down the hall from the Secretary of Defense. Um, you're waiting your turn <laughs> to talk about why you want to be a pastor in the Navy. And so I, I love that. I mean, I, I love the part of preparing these men uh, for that and then helping them uh, escorting them to that interview and, and those types of things. But one of the things that first happens, so you stay at the hotel overnight, and a, a van comes from the Pentagon to pick you up, and you, you get there, you're sitting in the lobby. When you first come in, one of the administrative support people that works for the chief of chaplains, who actually that's her office area, they'll say, they're expecting you. That's the, They're expecting you. Well, when it comes to prayer... God is ex- God's expecting you. 
But it's not merely a divine summons. Like the principal says, I'll see you in my office, right? It's an, in, it's an intimate invitation from a holy God who never sleeps, who knows our needs, who loves us as only a heavenly father can. And he teaches us to pray. He teaches us how we can talk to him, and he shows us here that his answers can always be trusted. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, and we are grateful for your word, Lord. We're grateful that though you expect things from us, you never just leave us in uncertainty, Father. That you've, Father, you modeled for us what it looks like to have an intimate relationship with a holy God and a heavenly Father. And you've shown us that you're a person of prayer. Father, and while you've taught us that we should pray, you've always taught us how to pray. And Father, we do pray this morning to you who are Heavenly Father who knows our needs. Father, we pray, we trust you with the future. Pray that you align our dreams with yours. Forgive us. Forgive us of our sin. Give us the needs for today just as today has its own trouble. And make us the family of God here in this place on this corner. People that, Father, make us people that as we desire to make disciples who love God and love people, that, Father, we pray that we are disciples who love God and love people. And that this, that the more than just strategy on the wall This is culture in the room. And there were a people of prayer. In your holy name we pray. Amen.